1: Good morning and welcome into this special bonus edition of the Ducks Rising podcast. On this morning's episode, we are joined by the one, the only, Hithliday from Addicted to Quack. He sat down with QB and I a couple of nights ago. We talked a lot about the first quarter of the season, what we've seen, what the Ducks are doing right, what they need to improve on, and we previewed the Washington State game just a little bit more. So please enjoy this special edition episode. Thank you for listening. All right, we are very pleased to be joined once again by our special guest, Hithliday from Addicted to Quack. If you aren't over there twice a week reading his film reviews and previews of Oregon's uh, upcoming and past opponents, you need to be doing that right now. You get over there and then listen to our pod. Actually, listen to our pod first and then get over there and read his, uh, his film reviews. Hithliday, thanks once again for joining us.
2: Uh, my pleasure. Always a pleasure to talk to you guys.
1: Yeah, Hithloday is like kind of like your, your favorite Oregon fan's
0: favorite Oregon fan. Mm-hmm. Um, and so whenever we get the opportunity to have you on, it's always really exciting for me. Um, you do a lot more homework than I do, and so I appreciate either being told I'm wrong by you as opposed to somebody else. You let me down a little bit lighter. Um, or being confirmed that my laziness has been um, at least somewhat scientifically approved
2: uh, well, QB, I, I feel uh, the same but opposite of uh, about you. Like, I, I have no, like, gut feel for this game at all. I, I've uh, hardly ever even touched a football. Uh, I'm just a fan. I got a computer and I run stats. And and uh, I feel the same way whenever I listen to, to you on a podcast or something, uh, you know, whenever some observation that I made uh, gets confirmed. Because, like, you and I don't, re- like, even though we talk, you know, we, we don't really, like, confer before our stuff gets published, you know. Like, all of this is, like, I, I think we both make a a concerted effort to like make our own thoughts, our own thoughts. And so when we both arrive at the same conclusion, like I really feel like, you know, even though we're we're sometimes coming at it from different um, directions, like you can be fairly confident. I think um, that 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 is a, a correct conclusion, even though 19 year olds sometimes make us look stupid.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I think my my favorite part of my week generally is like Thursday rolls around and I just kind of send you a DM and I'm just like, hey, I, I, I think we're like quite a bit better than this team. And then I either get like the thumbs up or thumbs down. and I'm like, oh, good.
1: <laughs> yeah, Hith, I also want to thank you for two things. First of all, I appreciate you being a listener of our show. I know I shouted you out on an episode a couple of episodes ago and you, and you tweeted at me and said, hey, I've got the answer. And, and I appreciate that. And secondly, <laughs> every time I do DM you, you know, with some random question around what's the, you know, what's the success rate of this or that or the other thing, or how have you, how is your charting showing me this, that, or other? Cause I want to win some Twitter argument. You always reply pretty quickly with the answer. So thank you for that.
2: Uh, and- database query tools, man. Like everybody should learn how to uh, use a database. Uh, it's a 21st century.
1: Oh, I have database querying skills. I just don't have the database.
2: Yeah, all right
0: yeah you two nerds would just be great together i uh meanwhile i will start the argument not have the answer and then message hithliday or doug <laughs> to, to to get the uh to get the final verdict there's been a, more than a few times where where hith is just like why are you bothering <laughs> it's like he's like also my twitter father just in my dms like dude come on I'm like all right sorry i'll chill
2: yeah I, but, your most recent tweet you're dunking on i think an ohio state fan i'm not sure like you know, John Wilner may have, like, this Dadaist art, uh, you know, uh, AP voting polls, but, like, your Twitter feed, man, like, th- this is, like, you know, Andy Warhol stuff. Like, I-, I can't tell whether or not you're being sincere. or It's great. Like, I, I love it.
1: It's usually a sarcasm, but... <laughs> <laughs> The other thing you can rely on Wilner for is when he releases his Pac-12 picks against the spread every week. If you just bet the opposite way, you will win a lot of money.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, like he is. He is. I think nine and fifteen against the spread so far this year. Like if you were literally just fading Wilner, you would be like doing better than most betting models so far this season. So, um, actually, not a horrible plan.
1: So. You know, Hith, again, thanks for joining us. You know, we're we're already 25% of the way through the regular season, you know, three, three games down. You know, let's talk a little bit about, you know, some observations of what you've seen so far uh, for the Ducks through three games.
2: Well, I should say before we start that um, very little about the Ducks I feel very certain about because their opponents have been so all over the map, right? You know, you have... This Georgia team, which is maybe the second coming of of Miami 2001, like this may be a historically, um, incredible team that they may, you know, beat every team by 50 points. Um, and, and on top of that, they sort of had the cheat codes, you know, like Dan Lanning didn't change his passwords, so to speak. Um, and so like, I don't know, man, you might want to throw all of that data out. And then Eastern Washington, I know that sometimes is a scary FCS teams that, you know, it's beaten a couple of Pac-12 teams over the years, but this isn't one of those versions. They like they they lost all the the playmakers that they they had in the previous year, and, and this is probably gonna be one of their down years. Um and, and, and then BYU, which, you know, let's face it, it, was probably a little overrated team at number 12, but, you know, that not only were they less physical in the trenches than they needed to be to take on Oregon, um, but, you know, they're their coaches were a little delusional in my opinion, you know, they thought they were more physical than they really were. And so I I thought that they made a lot of personnel mistakes, um, which I tried to document in my article that went up on Tuesday morning. Um, And so like, you know, I feel like, you know, for one reason or another, all three of these opponents have been like not a great measuring stick um, to, to figure out like the great mystery of what is Oregon this year. So having said all that, uh, there are uh, two things on uh, offense um, that I I think, uh, I can be confident in. Number one is it's a really good offensive line. I don't think anybody ought to doubt that. Um, and on top of that, like during the BYU game, they were, um, doing actually some pretty interesting rotations. You know, they, they've now had five different human beings play the two different guard spots. They've had two different dudes play left tackle. um, And uh, so, you know, Oregon's now running, you know, eight, eight dudes deep at offensive line who are all playing at a high level. And like Oregon's eighth man is probably better than most Pac-12 teams first man. Um, And the second thing is Bo Nix. There's a lot you can say about Bo Nix. He's a pretty accurate passer. Like if we can differentiate like accuracy from like stupid throws, because he's He's made at least one stupid throw, arguably two or three. Um, But like in terms of accuracy, throwing like a catchable on target on time ball to the correct, you know, receiver, like he's been lights out, like almost perfect. And, and I'm, I'm, I'm sure that the, the first thing that I said, that the offensive line quality is part of that because, you know, it, over his time at Auburn, it, it was fairly clear that like in a clean pocket, that guy is great in uh, you know, when he's got to like make decisions out of the pocket, like, ooh, um, but he doesn't have to make decisions out of the pocket with Oregon's offensive line. Um, and, uh, and, and and so you know i'm fairly certain in those things everything else sort of feels up in the air like maybe these guys are good maybe they're not i'd sort of like to see them play a complete team which like i don't know if oregon has one of those on their schedule uh, at least not until november
0: well we played one but they were just the pack a punch yeah. like ultimate yeah, right. version of one and in, in week one and like frankly like evaluating a team that's installing brand new systems in all three phases against a team that's ran the same systems and recruited at a top one or two level yeah. for
2: six straight years is it's like, it's like for anybody who's, you know, play video games where like at the very beginning of the video game, they put you up against the final boss who you're not supposed to win. He like kicks your ass up and down the, you know, and then you, you have to like start over and slowly build up, you know, whatever, like that's what that felt like. It's just like, that's the final boss of college football that they started you out against. And, and like, you know, you, you can't, you can't feel too bruised about it. You just got to pick yourself up and and, and and go on your quest.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And know and it's funny. You said this too about BYU. I, I noticed this, and I don't, I don't know if you agree. I don't think that we play like offensive, offense against defense against BYU. I think that we would have been, it would have been the path of least resi- resistance to exercise our speed advantage on the edge more than we did in that game. It seemed like we were making a statement that we were going to play into their strength and beat them at their strength.
2: I did sort of like, there's a political aspect to what you're discussing here that like BYU has a reputation of being this way. And so we will beat them at that. And then we will steal that reputation from them, which like, interesting. That's interesting. Like, I, I don't know that coaches, you know, should carry grudges like that. (laughs) I would like them to just win games in the most effective way as possible. Um, but that was certainly an effective strategy. So how can I complain?
0: Yeah and I, and I think that like we mixed in like we definitely exercised our speed advantage in a lot of different ways in that game and so like even when we were compressing formations and going super heavy but I think a piece of that was also kind of establishing Oregon's identity like I, I messaged you last week going into that game. I'm like, we're a lot better than these guys. Like, just We're, we're more physical. I mean, everybody
2: is more talented than that team. They're playing a bunch of walk-ons and two stars. You know, it's remarkable that they're able to coach them up as well as they do. But, like, yes, er- every team that BYU plays, with the exception of a couple of G5 teams, are more talented than that team. You know, the question is whether or not you got the want to. And Oregon demonstrated that they had the want to.
0: Yeah, yeah. To me, it was like the staff knew that they could pick how they were going to beat Utah. And they picked the way that was going to be the most sci- psychologically and just physically brutal way to do it by just kind Man, of that was a hell
2: of Freudian slip, QB. Yeah,
0: <laughs> just by going straight through them, and it, and it was—I don't know—I just I think that, and and I thought that was interesting because if you if you look if you watch the game from that specific lens, and then you watch the post-game press conference, like Lanning was like pretty. You could tell that he had made a point in the post game presser to to go out and say like, yeah, that's our identity. This is who we are. Like yeah. we we're gonna he, be a he team. Made the,
2: he made the David Shaw statement. The like we know you know what we're gonna do. We're gonna do it anyway, and you can't stop us. Like yeah, yeah, yeah. Big foot him. Yeah, I, I I mean, I I dug it. You know, I dug the you know the swinging uh, appendage uh you know kind of attitude um i would have liked a little more speed to the edge because they definitely could have beat him you know uh that way but like it was 38 to 7 what am i complaining about
0: yeah no absolutely and i think there was a lot of parts of that game and we went over in our in our review and i i read your review of that game as well and i think we agree across the board and how the game was managed and like we we got almost every available yard in the first half i i believe what was that a 18-yard field goal to start the game or uh, on our second drive other than that we gained every available yard in the first half so kind of hard to complain about the offensive game plan when you score on every drive um, and you score touchdowns on 75 percent of said drives Uh, but yeah I just I thought it was interesting that they were I think that's the type of thing that can give a team confidence and these are more intangible things and like frankly things that I don't talk about very often in regards to football and things I know you really don't like to talk about because you're a data guy and like to do the film study as much as I do. Uh, But yeah, it was, it was an interesting thing. And I I think it's something that could possibly galvanize this team moving forward into coming weeks.
2: Well, it should be interesting because, you know, as I see it, you know, just sort of forecasting a little bit forward because I've started to do film study on uh, some of the PAC 12 opponents that Oregon has coming up. Like, you know, they're, most of Oregon's opponents do not have the physicality in the trenches that they need, you know, to challenge them, um, in in the way that BYU would have even liked to challenge them. Uh, and, you know, if Oregon just wants to replicate that game plan for like six games up until they play, you know, Washington and Autzen in mid-November, like, I don't know, man, I'm not sure that I would have any complaints about that. Now, I feel like a lot of Oregon fans who've just spent the last four years complaining about, you know, Mario Cristobal's offense and boy, I sure hate running the ball because that's an opportunity cost not to throw a 60-yard touchdown pass, which is what I want to see on every single play. Maybe their heads will start to explode, but like, you know what, if you're scoring touchdowns, I sort of feel like the fan base would be pacified.
0: Yeah, and I think I don't know. There was a certain like tinge and I think it was stained into the into the fan base because of poor quarterback management, poor quarterback play in 2020 and 2021 where it was like all we were able to do successfully really especially last year was run the ball. And so it made people resentful whereas right now we're able to change personnel groups and be so multiple on offense. Um, and and really kind of dictate to the defense what what they're allowed to do um, in a way that makes it it's more exciting to watch a run game when it's complementary and when it's uh, when plays are being sequenced in a manner that allows for you to uh, parlay it into an explosive passing game than it is when you just know that that's all you're going to do.
2: I did really appreciate the sequencing um, in this game against BYU. I tend to associate that kind of like canny uh sequencing you know the sort of like get him to think a left jab is coming when then, then you throw the right hook you know kind of sequencing mm-hmm. i tend to associate that with more experienced older offensive coordinators who sort of like learn how to do that over a long career kenny dillingham's not had a long career and you know so showing that you know what i tend to think of as an advanced uh oc skill this early um i thought that was pretty encouraging um yeah.
0: I agree 100%. It, it, it's interesting because like people that I talked to that had the opportunity to kind of sit down one-on-one, and I, I we had him on our podcast early on this this summer. Um, he He's a really bright guy, especially for a 31-year-old who's been a Power 5 offensive coordinator at three places. Now, this is the first time that he's been alone, a solo coordinator calling all the plays. Uh, but I think he has a pretty for, – for his age, his resume is as impressive as it possibly could be. Right, being thirty-one years old, having been a play, uh, having been the offensive coordinator at an SEC, ACC, and now Pac-12 school, um, but like I think my favorite part about Joe Moorhead was the play sequencing and how every yeah. week we were setting up a counter for the following opponent a week ahead of time, and we started to see that last week. And I'm really interested to see how much of the different personnel groupings and play inventory we showed last week was really putting things on on film for Washington state um so that we can start to kind of preemptively set up our counters for this coming game
2: well I think the thing in particular that I enjoy that that I I you know I sure hope as an Oregon fan that they're you know messing their britches in Pullman right now is watching Oregon go from those uh 23 personnel or you know jumbo eye formation in which they have Josh Connerly in as the sixth offensive lineman and three uh tight ends um and then without substituting, you know, not only convert the third down, but then without substituting, uh, run up and, and, and get into a shotgun spread formation with the tight ends all split out and a six man protect, you know, and Connerly is just blocking, you know, whatever DE is coming like, because as a true freshman, he can do that. Um, you know what an interesting, you know, that's like watching, you know, the Autobots, you know, like transform and roll out. Like that was cool. Now that play didn't go very well. Nick's had to throw the ball away. There was some sort of like miscommunication on that play. It was weird, but the ability to do that is super cool.
1: The thing I really like about that from a macro level is, you know, here you have this true freshman five-star offensive lineman, you know, probably not ready to be a full-time starter, right? But you're, you're getting him in a game in in a, in a, in a certain personnel package that allows him to gain reps against real competition and meaningful parts of the game, build confidence, build reps, build experience, and, and keep him engaged, you know, in the team and on the roster and, and really develop him, you know, as a freshman, you know, to be someone who's going to likely be starting next year at left tackle for, for Oregon. And I just think that's a, that's a really creative and unique way, not just to game plan for that game, but, but over the long term.
0: Well, there's two things with that, right? So, the first thing being that, like, I feel like they are the substitutions feel more deliberate and intentional with the staff. It seems like there's we're doing it for specific reasons, and we're actually managing to lock teams into disadvantageous personnel groupings. In some cases, like BYU had to call a timeout once last game because Mm of it. Um,
2: I, I think you could argue they called two timeouts because of it.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That's that's fair as well. Um, and we're doing it as well defensively. Like we're we're exercising our depth in a way. First of all, we're playing more players on offense and defense in in meaningful time than we've ever played at Oregon, in my opinion. And and day you might actually have the data to support that. But just from my eye test, seeing how deep we're going on offense at the skill spots, um, on the offensive line, as you already discussed, and then on defense, rolling through six or seven guys in the front, um, four, legitimately five linebackers and. Maybe a little bit more shallow of a rotation in the secondary, but like Addison Stevens are are, are playing meaningful time at the deeps at the post safety, um, Hill Bennett Williams, and then the three corners kind of competing for cornerback two opposite of Gonzalez. But the, here's the other thing: is like we're executing at a high level with all these players. We've also had three quarters of garbage time in two games now, where we're getting even deeper into the bench and getting these guys meaningful snaps against opposition starter level talent Um, and and that's how georgia became the monster that they are not just by excellent talent acquisition but by getting all of these players reps to where when guys leave or when they have a crop of players like 15 guys drafted last year all the guys that are coming in have played substantial step snaps whether it's in garbage time whether it's in in a really deep rotation um and they have that flexibility because the way they put teams away. And I think we showed the killer instinct a little bit last week.
2: Uh, yeah, no, I, I'm definitely looking forward to, uh, you know, my, my schedule's so crammed, you know, for, for doing two articles a week, um, that I'm not sure when I'm going to be able to get to it. I'm hoping to do this project for the bye week where I, um, review the garbage time film um, and, and put up a little report on, you know, how are the deep backups doing and, you know, who's, you know, looking really good. Um, but yeah, I, am looking forward to digging into more than just, you know, uh, an FCS opponent and, and BYU, um, for that film. Uh, you know, I, I, sort of suspect at least a couple of, uh, Oregon's power five opponents or uh, PAC 12 opponents, um, will, uh, will present that opportunity. I mean, <laughs> Colorado, at the very least, those poor guys yeah they're they're not winning a game uh it might be a struggle um the other thing um that i will say that was uh, a pretty interesting um about the b y u game uh, on defense was um i I don't really uh, look at social media that much while I'm still writing my article. Cause I try to, you know, as I was saying earlier, try to, you know, make my voice independent. Um, I, I felt like Triquiz Bridges came in for a little more abuse, uh, online than he, um, really deserved. Uh, it, his, you know, the first play it, it, you know, the, the BYU runs, his hips are flipped. He winds up, you know, incorrectly defending that pass. Um, but number one, he slips, You know, falls down, gets up, makes the tackle, prevents a touchdown, and ultimately BYU has to punt on that drive. Um, And and I think that's sort of like reliability and and body control um, is probably why he's starting. Um, and then there's other plays too. I put one of them in my article where he has that pass breakup on the sideline. Cause he knows that like the, the, the wide receiver is going to have to be crushed up against the edge of the sideline. He has time to like recover and make that pass breakup. And I thought it was beautiful. Actually, I'll stop there. QB, what did you think? Of, I'm sure you know the play that I'm referring to. What did you think about his performance on that play?
0: Yeah, I thought he did. A, well, first of all, he did a really good job playing through the hands, which I think is a really key piece because you can't, you can't face guard in college. So you have to have good timing with that um, to one, not get called for pass interference. But um, yeah, I, I think the one thing I've noticed and I, I don't know, like I read your article and I, I listened to, um, I think you, did you, didn't you interview David Woods about um, coach meat and coach Klum?
2: Uh No, I I did not have an opportunity to talk to David. Woods okay. About
0: but that. maybe maybe it was some tweets that they had fired off UCLA guys were firing off, but when there was like a lot of like consternation, like oh, he's he's a good recruiter and a bad coach. Like I think our mm-hmm. corners are showing pretty massive growth I, from week to week. Like I think we're at, who we're
2: on like, earth thinks that Demetrius Martin is a bad coach?
0: Well, I've seen what? a lot of people saying, a lot of UCLA fans saying it, and, and I'm like, fans too. I,
2: I would understand UCLA fans criticizing Adrian Clam. I had some concerns about some of the ways that his offensive linemen performed, although they all go on to play in the NFL, which like maybe means. I don't know what that means, but like the <laughs> cornerbacks, are you kidding? The cornerbacks play great. Well, there was such it, a drop off at UCLA in cornerback performance when he left. It's a, it is astonishing.
0: Yeah. And I, I don't know, maybe it was just like this fan manufactured narrative, but I'm watching mm-hmm. our guys, like whether it's, whether it's bridges, whether it's Manning, whether it's Florence, like they're not all perfect right now, or else one of them would be playing at such a high level that we wouldn't be having this conversation but like manning specifically like especially in the second half of that game had three different reps where they were trying to throw fades or run fades on him and he's just doing a great job of like being in phase using his body to push a receiver off the red line and squeeze him to the sideline while also having his hips turned in a way that he's he's looking back for the ball so he's not getting called for pass interference like that was textbook corner play and i think that our man coverage skills i mean you you we have a coach meat product in gonzo who's been working with him his entire college career who like looks borderline but he's unbelievable like I, the fact that they decided to throw at him on that third and ten in yeah, the third was quarter was hilarious because he's
2: just yeah that that smile on his face after he knocked it away was just like <laughs> oh
0: yeah it, it's just too easy for him like he he just has such good patience and he's he's such a twitchy and long athlete and he's so fluid and I think that's where um, Bridges loses a little bit is because he's not as twitchy. Yeah, sure. Um, and well, he's, he's not little-
2: built like a cornerback. He's built no. like a, a safety, or actually, what I would really like him to I, I would like Manning or Florence or Barkins or one of these guys who is actually naturally built like a corner. I would like him to get to whatever reliability level that apparently Bridges is demonstrating in practice and is the reason why the coaches are going with him right now. I would like those guys to rise up to that level, displace him so that Bridges can take over for Jamal Hill as the slot uh, corner guy you know to cover those faster tight ends because like as much as i like jamal hill for his physicality um his foot speed is just not adequate to cover some of those routes and i would really like to see bridges move more inside and used for that role because all this cornerback experience is good, be really valuable on some of those inside routes, especially when you're getting to teams like utah later in the season that like you know um, really have the ability to use their tight ends in the inside interior passing game. Like, Oregon has the the bodies in order to have a very good secondary. It's just, it's a little wonky right now because sort of guys are playing out of position and and, and I'm not really sure what's going on um, with with Manning at all in terms of like why those guys aren't starting. It must be an issue in practice and, I, and I, we don't get to watch practice so we don't get to see where their status is. But like, I'll I'll stop there. QB, do you agree with that assessment? What do you think about that?
0: So I agree with most of it. So this is where I, this is where I disagree. So um we, we fundamentally agree on bridges. I, I think he would work better as a safety um in a lot of different ways, just from a physical build standpoint, right? Because high waisted guys typically struggle in transition. He's he's pretty long. Um and that's where he loses, right? Like that's where he loses on those back shoulder balls. Uh, and typically, like, if, if he's going to lose against a faster receiver, he's going to lose at the break point of the route. Um, mm-hmm. But we've also had, like, five or six defensive back coaches during his career, and they've all played him at corner, which makes me a little bit start to question or wonder if it's partially a mental processing and instinctive problem as to why he's not playing safety. Because even this staff had him at safety in the spring. And I know he's been cross-trained there. And so part of it, I think, might be the way that he performs on a non-physical level at that position as to why he's not playing there. And that's just guessing based on the fact that, I mean, again, we've had six different defensive back coaches who have all made the same call.
2: You're saying that um, outside cornerback is a less mentally taxing position to play than safety?
0: Yeah. In general, it's a more... Um, I would, I call it reactive, reactive quickness and reactive athleticism position, especially when like we play a much higher volume of man coverage than we've played in the past so far this year.
2: That is definitely true.
0: Um, And so it's far less about your ability to process information and play in within a broader scheme and more about your ability to just have the Twitch to react and stay, stay glued to a guy and so that that's just my opinion it's a it's a it's kind of an educated guess right based on the decision making of all the coaches we've had to this point including the current staff with landing pallage and and Meat. um but w- we'll see and i i think the the other thing here is that while fans get really excited because florence is florence and manning are young highly regarded super like measurably explosive and twitchy athletes they they are both losing reps too and making mistakes as well when they're when they're put in the same position and they're getting better and I think ultimately both of them have a higher ceiling over the longer run um, but right now I I think that Bridges is more reliable specifically like we talk about it like defending the screen game and playing on the edge like Bridges is bigger and stronger and he's he's really done a good job so far this year of block destruction outside of the Georgia game. And I think that's an important piece to this as well as teams are really trying to beat us on the edge with the quick screen game.
2: Yeah, I mean, that's going to continue um, for a while. I, the metaphor that I use on, th- on a different podcast is like, remember in, in 2019 when Utah got beat by USC, you know, by Fink, like throwing the ball a million times to NFL wide receivers and then all season long every Utah opponent tried to do the same thing to them, but they didn't have NFL uh, wide receivers and it didn't work out. And like kind of weirdly that loss to USC kind of, uh, you know, paradoxically redounded to Utah's benefit. Um, I, I almost feel like Oregon's looking at something similar in terms of like the way that Georgia beat them, just eviscerated them was attacking the perimeter. But like, I actually think Oregon's defense against the, you know, to the perimeter is more reliable than their down the sidelines defense. And, uh, and so it's sort of like, go ahead guys, you know, knock yourself out uh, is sort of my attitude. Do you, do you think I'm off base? Where do you think?
0: I, I agree. Um, and I think we've, you could tell they've been drilling the heck out of it in practice. We've week to week, we're just getting better and better at it. And like last week in particular, going back and watching the tape against BYU, and and they're not a particularly athletic team in mm-hmm. terms of overall team speed, but the way that we're fitting and beating blocks, and the way that like even the linebackers, like guys like Keith Brown and Jackson Laduke, are playing um, within the scheme, and just everyone's doing their one eleventh and fitting properly in the external screen game and the in the and the kind of wide run plays, um, I, I think that it's partially a matter of teams don't want to test our ability to actually pass rush against them. We don't have a lot of sacks. We don't have a lot of super disruptive plays to this point. Largely because teams are getting the ball out really quick and squirting it out to the outside. I don't think. Well, our past- and also
2: Oregon doesn't want anybody to like flip out of the pocket and scramble for big yards. You know, they're there. It's and Georgia didn't in 2021 when Lanning was the coordinator at Georgia. I can tell you from watching that film, like they weren't generating sacks because of guys, you know, mauling. Uh, and, and pressing, they were generating sacks because they would just defeat the you know the interior uh, offensive line. I, I think that philosophy is just carried over, and Oregon just doesn't have Jordan Davis. You know,
0: I, I agree. I agree to an extent, but I also think it's a matter of with the quarterbacks that we've played to this point in the season, whether it's Jaron Hall, even going into this weekend against Cameron Ward or Stetson Bennett, they're all really explosive runners and they're athletic, um, and they're and they're guys that I think. Outside of Bennett, I think specifically with Hall and with Ward, you would prefer if they're going to beat you to beat you from the pocket, right? Like, th- those aren't guys that, especially Hall. Hall is really explosive. Hall's not a guy that we wanted to just get, let, get, a, get out and get loose and get a bunch of yards on the ground, a bunch of cheap stuff where we have to chase them all over the place. So I think we've had a pretty, con- like, a containment um, structured rush plan. I think that that's going to change because we're as we get it deeper into the season, the mobility of the quarterbacks is going to change a little bit. Um, and I also think that we've done a really, really poor job of executing in the front on our stunts game, on our simulated pressures game. Like we got guys running into each other. Like we're not in sync yet. We're not executing. Like if I was going to give us like a grade on each part of the execution defensively, I think that piece of our defense is where we're executing the poorest right now, um, in, in its current state.
1: I think that's where the the schedule that the way the schedule sets up for Oregon obviously outside of the Georgia game being week 1 I, I think it really play to the team's benefit right cuz if you're assuming that that's going to that type of thing you just talked about QB is going to continue to get better and better throughout the season the fact that our you know our, our final 3 games are, are the you know Washington, Utah and Oregon State game which are you know three of the tougher games on the schedule like that's what you want if you're if you're in the scenario where we're trying to install that new scheme and get better and get to our our team to be competent in that phase so
0: yeah cuz like Hithleday, like i i know you watched you watched 2020 Georgia film as well right of course so in 2020 Georgia went from having Ojalari, Jermaine Johnson, Nolan Smith and Adam Anderson to 2021 only having Nolan, Nolan Smith cuz Ojalari went to the NFL, Jermaine Johnson transferred to Florida State for more playing time because he was behind Adam Anderson Uh, jermaine johnson ended up getting drafted in the first round by the jets um and then adam anderson got kicked off the team for breaking team rules like they went from having four nfl quality edge rushers to one in one season and so like the way that they were generating pressure fundamentally changed like they went from a four a four down team that was just really rushing with four a lot in 2020 to a team that was super reliant on involving their linebackers via simulated pressure in the rush in 2021, and so I think that they're both still trying to identify who on the edge for us gives us the best chances of rusher. In my opinion, it's it's Johnson and Swinson um, from the outside. Where I, I really like the way that Doralist can rush against guards in this league, um, but I also think that players like like Flo and Sewell and and Bassa. Uh can be really valuable players to add into the rush via our, our our stunt and simulated pressure game and I just think that we're not executing at a high level yet in those phases
2: what what i think is interesting is their the the o l b usage strategy where they're really only bringing in mace Funa um when they you know when they go to three four right like you know when when they need a strong side backer um and the otherwise it has been the johnson show you know all game long until the 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 opponent gets into you know third and long you know passing situation in which case you know they bring in swinson and just swinson has not been cave on thibodeau because who is um like it just it doesn't strike me like this is a defense which is predicated on havoc and what I noticed from doing the whole 2021 Georgia project was that they weren't really predicated on havoc either. They were a, to use a cliche, a keep the play in front of you, you know, kind of defense because they knew that no opponent could go 15 plays against Georgia's talent level. And they were fine with that. And then if you look at the havoc stats, you know, the advanced stats on havoc, like Georgia's actually a pretty middle of the pack team in 2021. And if you look at, you know, fumble generation, Georgia was, you know, it was a pretty middle of the pack team now sacks they excelled at but like this is i might sound a little insane here but they weren't generating sacks because they were trying to generate sacks they were generating sacks because they had a bunch of first round talent in their defensive front who was getting through the line anyway um and and so like just structurally uh it, it just doesn't strike me that oregon's defense you know, from a philosophical standpoint is like pulling out all the stops to sack the quarterback because that's how they have to stop the play. They are confident in, you know, the, the rest of the defense to stop the play by doing their jobs. And, uh, you know, the premium that they're putting on their rush plan is, you know, don't let the, the quarterback scramble out, um, and, and, and make an off schedule play, uh, which i I don't know how you feel. I think that's an appropriate strategy.
0: Well, I think it's like the thing that impresses me the most about landing and and everyone that I've talked to just raves about like the type of like they they call him a guru. Like they call him a whiz kid from a defensive standpoint. And if you look, it's so crazy how different these Georgia defenses were from year to year under landing, because in 2020, they were super veteran. They lost four guys to the NFL from twenty twenty in the secondary to twenty twenty one. They lost those edge rushers, and so their havoc rate went down because they weren't. They were trying to play to keep things in front for a young secondary in twenty one. Whereas in twenty, like they trusted those guys a lot more on an island, and so they were more aggressive. Um, and again, they had the edge rush to, to to do that with as well. And so, like what I've noticed is the variety of fronts and surfaces that oregon has played this year to this point is like we're three games in and we've played more surfaces than we've played in the last three defensive coordinators mm. like we we've like lat like last week alone like we, put, we played uh, like a true old school three four bare front where we had five techniques we played an under front we played an over front both like from an even like four down look we played a bunch of different like nickel fr- fronts, we played a mint like we we played a bunch of different stuff just last week alone, and based on opponent, I think we have a lot built into this defense um and, and then also from a variety of coverages standpoint like like yes, we've played a lot of man coverage um specifically against b y u because I don't think that we really respected their exterior speed all that much, but we've also done a lot of different disguises and we've we've ran a bunch of different stuff whether it's cloud or trap coverages that i especially comparing to last year with the router where i felt like we were vanilla like all season long last year like we ran two or three things and that's kind of all we did Don't whereas started there's that. substantially more variety baked into this to this system um so yeah like i i, I agree i agree overall with what you're saying um but but i also think that it's a it's a factor of i don't know that they trust our back half yet and i think that the back half is improving week to week Uh, but i think that you would agree with me that our front seven is the strength of the defense right now
2: uh that's an interesting question i I feel like there are certain members of the secondary who I really trust, and there are certain members of the front that I really trust, but there are other members of the secondary that I don't, and there are other members of the front that I don't, so I don't know, kind of mixed bag for me. I'll tell you, the one that's really impressed me, um, the position, and I know this is sort of like invisible, but hey, that's what film study is for, for me to like publicize these things, is the nose tackle position. yes. Oregon lost Papuamavai. Any other team in the Pac 12, if they lost their starting nose tackle, they would stop being a three down front. They would go to being a 2 4. Uh, and the reason that I say that is because I watched it happen for like five different teams over the last couple of years. Oregon brought in two transfers, Sam Timani from Washington and Jordan Riley from Nebraska. Um, and on top of that, they have a true freshman, a Sir Mells who's been getting some rep in garbage time. Like Oregon runs prior to Amavai's injury, runs four deep at nose tackle. And that's true nose tackle. They also, because of the way that they stem, like a lot of their big DEs would be defensive tackles at any other school and would be pressed into service to play nose tackle. And so the way that they stem, like you often have either in the zero or the one tech, a guy who is not a nose tackle, you know, or is the position next to his name. Like Oregon's pretty deep you know, in this line and it gives them the flexibility to run, you know, over unders, you know, all, all sorts of different fronts. Uh, Cause they made that investment. And like, that's an investment that I, I'm not kidding about this zero other PAC 12 teams have made.
0: Well, yeah, it's a, it's also a capability to recruit the type of athlete, right? Like we went out and got Rogers and Riley from Nebraska who like trust Tuioti Cause I, I like, I, I thought Joe Salveo was, was a very like strong technical coach. His recruiting was solid. I think that we've pretty – I would say we've upgraded a defensive line coach. Um, I, I love the way that those guys are playing. I love the body types that they brought in. I love the depth that they're developing. Like even Ben – you mentioned Sir Mills, Ben Roberts has played even more plays, more snaps in garbage time, and he's another really big, strong interior body that they can rotate in. Um, Keanu Williams as well has played a lot in garbage time, not quite making the, the primary lineup, but between – Doorless, where Hudson, Casey Rogers, Jordan Riley, um, Sam Taimani. Like, we've got a very deep and versatile group of guys who are all strong enough, long enough, and physical enough to play in a bunch of different fronts. So I I 100% agree with you. Um, Like, Jordan Riley specifically, I watched all of his Nebraska tape. He was a very good player in spurts and lower sl- snap count situations last year, but his consistency wasn't always there. He has been like pretty nails for us, and Sam Taimani looks the best he's ever looked as well, shedding all that weight this offseason, just being able to play with better motor. Um, like I don't think anybody remaining on our schedule, we'll see. I know Utah will try, is going to really be able to, to, to reset the line of scrimmage against our interior.
2: Well, it's just big, you know, like I'm sorry to sound like a meathead, you know, for a second. But like this is a not only are there a ton of dudes in the defensive line and that, you know, but but like they are big enough so that they can stem over and, you know, not get embarrassed because their defensive ends are not so small that if you put them, you know, inside a two that they'll get, you know, mauled by the interior guards. You know, like, you know, Oregon, you know, if you average the weight i took you know oregon's most recent roster update where they finally put the weights in uh if you take the you know weights of the entire defensive line group it averages out to over 291 pounds and that's with like afiase at 259 dragging the average down and shipley at 267 driving the average down like you know really you know the effective you know weight of the noses and defensive ends combined is closer to 300 pounds uh for the guys who are actually going to be playing like you know find me a pac-12 defensive line that's anywhere close to that right well, like
0: it's not even just the weight though because like we've had heavy lines in the past it's the length like that's what allows them to be so flexible and to stem in and out of these fronts because like yeah you could be 300 pounds but as we saw with washington over the last three or four years where they have a bunch of roly-poly olies with the same exact body type like when you have to play a four eye and play two gap and stack a tackle if you got little short T-Rex arms, you can't get hands on longer tackles. So having long bodies like Casey Rogers and Jordan Riley and Popo, if you were healthy, Dorless is longer than his six-three frame would indicate. Same with Ware Hudson. Like having length is also what is allowing this versatility and the stoutness on the interior, and it's a it's a big advantage for us. Like we are legitimately like girthier, heavier, and longer. Like. <laughs> that's what she said <laughs> all right then 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 would be standard for this league
2: uh yeah and, and head and shoulders and i mean like a lot of the programs that ought to have been you know recruiting this type of guys uh you know haven't been um and some of them like washington got a bunch uh you know and oregon stole one of them you know i I dig it yeah anyway uh, well I, I made the point already but i wanted to reiterate it like Oregon lost a really good nose tackle in this, on the season in Popo Amavai. Um, they didn't miss a beat. There's, uh, and I can tell you from doing all my Pac-12 preview projects for, you know, for five years throughout the Pac-12, any other team in the Pac-12 loses their starting nose tackle. Like not, you know, it's not just, oh, that, you know, that's a pretty unfortunate loss. It's, I'm going to downgrade their win total by about two wins and they're going to change the structure of their defense. <laughs> You, d- did anything like that happen with oregon like i'm not trying to you know make light of popo's injury like it, it really sucks but like they took that one in stride right well no
0: what's crazy is we like we were hearing two weeks before the first game that popo wasn't even really practicing a nose tackle mm. he was practicing at the big end spot
2: i mean like, he were, could do it yeah i, bu- I buy that
0: yeah just because like again he, he like popo while he's played nose tackle at oregon has the length to play kind of anywhere along this front um so he he had been playing like really it had been riley Dorless, and popo as the starters and so
2: anyway, I, I guess the point that i wanted to make is that like fans tend to hyperventilate about the sack stat as though the only thing the defensive line or outside linebacker can get yeah. you is sacks and that if the sack number is below a certain threshold that means the line must be bad and like boy oh boy could you know nothing could be further than the truth this is you know a really excellent defensive line it is deep uh and and it is big and it allows them to do a bunch of different things and they're they 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 took the injury to a starter in stride it's been you know well managed roster with appropriate transfers um they're getting good reps uh for for lots of other guys and nobody else in the pac-12 is able to say that um you know even teams you know like utah which has you know a pretty good defensive line, but they don't have a ton of depth, you know, playable depth to it, you know, like, uh, that, that's a, you know, that is a notable advantage.
1: Yeah. I think, yeah. I think we were talking about, you know, the depth of the defensive line position, you know, for this team being, being, you know, pretty incredible in the strength of this team, you know, well before the season even started. And, and it's clearly obviously playing out at this point. Um, you know, we're 45 minutes in, I know we can, the two of you and and myself can talk all night long. Ah, uh, do we want to segue into talking a little bit about uh, Washington State, or are there more more areas around uh, the Oregon roster and performances so far that you want to touch on? I mean, the the only thing I was going to say, and I'm sure Hithloday would agree with me, is that
0: like Bennett Williams has played at an extraordinarily high level so far this year, and like his loss last year, I don't think I don't think Oregon fans, myself included, did a very good job of like recognizing just how important he was to our 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 the back half of our defense a year ago. Seeing him healthy out there, just the way that the way that he plays, both physically as an open field tackler, but um, the reroutes he's getting in pass coverage, his ability to carry guys vertically, it's really good to see him out there and healthy.
2: Yeah, I'm I'm definitely a big big fan of Bennett Williams. I'm looking forward to his first interception, so I can get back to making fun of his dad on Twitter um, for for her having an inferior uh, average uh, interception return number to his son. <laughs> That's awesome. His dad was Her- Gary Williams who played at Cal uh, back in the day. In fact, he's one of the dudes who was in on the play.
0: Uh, oh, really? I didn't know that yeah. he was in on the play.
2: He, he's, he's in on the play. He doesn't wind up touching the ball, but that's him. Um, he's, in, he's in college football's most famous play of all time.
0: That's awesome. I had no idea about that. Yeah. He played in the NFL for a little bit too, if I recall properly. I but- believe so, yeah. Perfect. Yeah. I think that's a good, let's, let's segue into some Washington state talk.
2: I'm ready. I have uh, completed my film study on uh, Washington state. In fact, my article is queued up to publish on, on Friday. I I could, uh, somebody on, on the uh, scoop duck asked me, like, could you publish early sometimes? And I was like, no, I'm not going to do that. It's impossible for me, but I could have actually this week, but I'm not going to, you gonna have to wait until Friday to read it on addicted quack. All
1: right. So maybe go ahead, QB. Oh, no
0: I don't want to, I don't want to steal this, but I'm, I'm really eager to hear your opinions on Cameron Ward through three
2: games. Oh, I can't imagine they're too different from yours. Uh, you know, his throwing motion is really weird. His footwork is a mess. He's a one read quarterback. Um, he, you know, if it's not there, there's some pocket drama that goes on. And then on top of that, his offensive line is not the offensive line that Washington state has had, um, for a long time. You know, they, they lost both of their tackles, um, at the end of last year. Um, and, uh, and they don't have the same sort of like battleship dudes that Mike Leach was recruiting. Um, you know, they want to run the ball more. They're not good at running the ball. They, they want to pass protect better. They, they can't, you know, he's not, even if I thought that he were capable of getting to a second read, like his offensive line is not allowing him to get to a second read. Um, and, and so he does like weird stuff, um, you know, in the pocket if his first read isn't there. Um, and, uh, and, you know, it's a, it presents a pretty obvious strategy, um, for, for how to defeat their passing game and their passing game is, you know, 75% of, of what they attempt to do and their run game stinks. So, you know, yeah. Uh, well, you got to watch out for their screen game. You know, that that's a little scary. Although Cam Ward for some bizarre reason throws pretty inaccurate screen passes. He tends to throw it at the shoes uh, of his, you know, outside receivers or, or on the, you know, some of those slip screens. Um, so, like, yeah, that was a quarterback that came in with, you know, a lot of, you know, trumpets blaring. But, like, even Wazoo fans are sort of like, um, come on, Cam.
0: Yeah, no, I 100% agree with everything you've said. Uh, I I was honestly shocked at just, like, first of all, his throwing motion is a mess. Like, if you're, he's a small quarterback, so you're already starting from a disadvantage from, like, a from a throwing platform standpoint. He's got, like, a weird, funky, low three-quarter delivery
2: like for it's small, almost like, like submariner it's almost like watching a baseball reliever
0: yeah and and it's clear that he's not comfortable trying to throw over the middle because of it like he's very hesitant to throw over the middle he's very hesitant to get off his first guy and his first guy is almost always number six uh is it ronnie bell or whatever the first nine one? is
2: bell six is ollie
0: okay sorry not yet nine bell like very very typically bell is number is the number one especially in the screen game but like you said, like he's skipping balls all over the place, a la Darren Thomas, 2010. Like there, there there's probably without charting it, there's probably a fifteen percent error rate on screen throws that have absolutely nothing to do with him other than him just mechanically being kind of a disaster. Let's um, see,
2: they've thrown twenty one uh seventeen point two. Oh look at that. See? Look at see that Doug?
1: Seventeen point two percent. I pretty, love it. I pretty love
0: pretty the accuracy. accuracy. Pretty good guesstimation there, huh? <laughs> it was. But yeah, no, like he's he's just he has been extremely inaccurate and the further downfield you go, the more crazy it gets because um th- like there there was a, at least one interception against uh yeah. Wisconsin where he kind of stepped up into the pocket and tried to throw the ball downfield and a rotating safety just caught him. But there's there was yeah, also that interception- one is gonna
2: be in my article on Friday morning.
0: Yeah, there was also an interception where he was against, I believe it was Idaho, where he just missed. Mm -hmm. He just flat out missed the throw. And so, um, to me, this is a game where, like, I know this hasn't been a havoc related defense or, like, a super um, havoc dependent defense. I would be looking to expedite his mental clock as much as possible. Like, I think that this is a guy that you can get to um, and you can really cause him some problems by just having bodies around his feet and around him um and i don't like he he is a capable runner but i i think he's the least scary runner at quarterback that we face so far of, of non-fcs guys
2: uh yes i agree with that the other thing i you know that should be said is there's, this offensive line is just not very good um their their right tackle in particular is just he's bad he's not a good right tackle um i'm sure he's a wonderful human being um but at playing the position to which he's assigned uh he you know lets a lot of stuff by um both of the guards are not particularly good the left tackle is okay the center is all right um but like the two guards and the right tackle are extreme positions of vulnerability for wazoo and uh and like vorden fans are hungry for sacks like um they might I don't know. He's good at sort of like flipping out of danger. On the other hand, like I don't, you know, Idaho and Colorado state were getting to the backfield, but then they weren't able to bring him down because like those aren't, you know, power five athletes. Um, I think Oregon has some power five athletes.
0: Yeah. And I also think that we're just going to have the, like, we talked about like with Jordan Davis at, at Georgia last year, we don't have Jordan Davis, but we have the guys to compress the interior of this Washington state offensive line. Um
2: yeah just like dump dudes in their lap not necessarily like beat them around the edge but just like shove them back into that dude's face yes definitely
0: Yeah absolutely and that that to me is is like a pretty decisive advantage like when Leach was the head coach like they ran and they still do it at Mississippi State obviously but they ran those super funky wide splits and it was kind of a gimmick um for their offensive line where they didn't have to recruit the same caliber of athlete they just recruited aircraft carriers that took forever to get around because they were so massive and because they were artificially widening the gaps for your defensive line um, and they ran just they ran the ball just enough to keep you off balance whereas like this is not an air raid offense in the traditional sense like I would I would consider this more of a multiple offense it's um,
2: very interesting. I had a, a long conversation with Jeff Neusser from uh, Cook Center, our, our sister site, um, over, or in June about sort of like the evolution of the air raid. And basically, it's really funny. Everybody who comes off of the Mike Leach tree, which Eric Morris, uh, Wazoo's OC, um, is one of them. He was a player for him at Texas Tech. Uh, every one of them, Lincoln Riley. uh uh uh, what's his name graham harrell at usc there's a couple others like every one of them take the air read passing tree and then try to hybridize it with other stuff um because they're like screw you dad you know (laughs) i'll I'll show you so like mike leach doesn't have rpos that's really the thing that that morris introduces is sort of a spread option game and some real rpos in fact um according to charting By far, their most lethal play is the RPO slant, um, which really should be part of an air raid passing tree. I don't understand why Mike Leach was so allergic to it. It's a really good play for them. And it's one that. that that word can execute fairly well um uh uh but like it's it's interesting because like in order to sell it they have got a run block and so they have run blocking you know on offensive alignment they're not good at run blocking but they have sort of like given up the natural market advantage that they had in terms of recruiting as you put it aircraft carriers who like were pass blockers and pass blockers only so now they have like jack of all trade guys who are masters of none and like yeah i would really like to see or and just like crush that pocket yeah
0: yeah and i think uh ward is the most comfortable with binary reads which is not a shocker i mean we've basically kind of typecasted him as a one read quarterback you he's most comfortable when he like it's handoff or throw the slant and whenever he has to run like true air raid concepts whether it's like mesh or stick or go or any of these staple air raid concepts that like frankly like you don't have to be an air raid team to run any of them Mm -hmm. um He's not as comfortable he's not he's not really it's not Luke Folk or Gardner Minshew or Connor Holiday or any of those guys. It's a very different look um specifically because I think their use of the tight ends they would in a perfect world, if they got to pick their personnel, I think they'd be a much more tight end dominant offense than even they are this year.
2: Yeah, I agree. They, it looks like they only have one who's functional, and it's sort of a surprise. Number 42, Riviere, Um, It's not Andre Dollar, 87, um, the guy who they were sort of betting on, um, uh, which is a bit of a surprise. Um and, uh, yeah, they sort of use the tight end more as a sort of a distraction and a blocker than anything else. It adds an interesting wrinkle to the passing tree. Um, and, and Wisconsin got in trouble a couple of times cause they didn't quite know how to defend it, um, properly, but like, yeah, I think they would like to have a little more tight end action than they really do.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I think honestly, I think they'd like to play a lot of 12, which is why I don't think this is like, this is not a hell mummy or Mike Leach air raid by mm-hmm. any stretch of the imagination. I think um, this
2: offense could actually be pretty good in the future. Like I, I sort of see the outlines of what Morris wants to do now that he has access to power five talent to the extent that Moizu qualifies in that rubric. Um, maybe they won't for long. Uh, but, um, yeah, I actually am really sort of intrigued about what this could evolve into, but like, this is the first year, um, and they're not, they don't have the ponies.
0: Yeah, no, it's going to be, there's going to be some pretty substantial growing pains in my opinion. Um, And I think we're going to start to see those this week, I, especially that right tackle. I was watching him like Herbig, the the edge player slash mm-hmm. linebacker for Wisconsin was kind of having his way. Um, I think that's a matchup that's very winnable for Wisconsin's
2: whole... you know I, I think that Jim Leonard um, is a really interesting figure in college football and I actually think he's going to be one of the key dominoes to the upcoming coaching carousel but setting that aside um, I really thought that their strategy to play a one 4 defense and back out as many players as they did into coverage was a really intriguing one and basically worked pretty well um, you know was you needed some like pretty weird stuff in order to win that game. And I dug it. Like, I really dug, like, you know, just putting down a nose tackle and then two Bs and two ILBs. Like, what What did you think about that when you were watching that film?
0: Yeah, well, it's interesting because, like, Benton, their nose tackle is by far their most dominant defensive lineman, like, true down guy. And so like, having him I, on the I field. I didn't
2: see any other one, so I can't gainsay you.
0: Yeah, exactly. So he, uh, like, it made sense to have him on the field. And, frankly, like, he was pretty routinely beating triple teams on the interior. And just like they were, they kept trying to run counter tray and pull the garden tackle around and their right. center was so deep into the backfield. They couldn't even clear. So yeah, exactly.
2: Um, there's was repeated. I had a couple <laughs> of clips in that in my article, you know, where it's like, he's getting owned so bad that like it interrupts the pullers.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And so like it worked for, for all intents and purposes, the interesting thing. And I talked about this in our preview uh, that, that will have come out already is Leonard uh, historically is a super aggressive coordinator like like in terms of blitz rates typically high 30s low 40s mm-hmm. this year he's only blitzing 15% of the time and part of that is because of that game in my opinion like they were not super aggressive in regards to bringing more than four um and they were like totally content to just try to rush with four and they they were winning with four um and get put as many bodies in the back and change the picture as often as possible to give to make Ward hesitate more than he naturally does. And so um, I anticipate, I don't know if we're going to steal the 1-4 thing. I think we'll play with more down guys than that. But I do think that there will be similar outcomes. I think that we'll be certainly stealing some stuff uh, because in base structure, there's a lot of similarities between our defense and Leonard's.
2: Sure, I actually wouldn't be surprised, even though I spent most of the summer like trash talking two down fronts, um, and Pac-12 teams that are sort of forced into playing two down fronts because they failed at recruiting, um, uh and was you know celebrating Oregon's ability, uh, to play three down fronts with multiple, um, uh, you know, deep uh, backups, uh. I would actually sort of think it would be interesting if Oregon went to a two-down approach um, in this game. Uh, like, I, I really, you know, just most air raids, I tend to think the appropriate solution is to back it out, uh, you know, play more in coverage and sort of confuse the quarterback or at least, you know, gum up the works. Um, and and uh, But the other thing is just like, the, again, going back to the offensive line, Wazoo's offensive line is so bad that like most of the time against Mike Leach, you know, Wazoo teams in my preview article, I would write because I know that the Oregon's DCs read those things right religiously, uh, it would be. (laughs) like quit quit blitzing dude like knock it off these these guys you know the aircraft carriers will pick up that blitz and then you'll have fewer dudes in coverage and and and, you know that's what the quarterback is lives for for uh, under an air raid this offensive line yeah blitz them well
0: you know what's what's really funny is that like whether it was avalos whether it was deruder like these guys did not they didn't know the defense you're supposed to play against an air raid like they just didn't like structurally, they 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 didn't have. And
2: it's not like that's a real difficult thing to do. Washington did it for like nine straight years.
0: Well, a hundred percent. And that's what's funny is like, and in, in Landing said it on Monday in his press conference. He's like, "Well, um, against an air raid team, like we install a brand new defense and we run one defense the entire game. This is not an air raid team. They're more multiple. They they like try to run the ball and all that stuff and." He so he said it in a though. much. Oh my
2: God, dude! Yeah, yeah. Sorry, well, he said ahead. it.
0: He said it in a much more complimentary manner than that. Mm-hmm. But like, he, like, like, he said, like this is the, if this was a Mike Leach air raid, they would be running. We would be running one defense the entire game because that's the only defense that you need to carry against an air raid. And yet, Andy Avalos wanted to blitz all the time, mm-hmm. and Deruder didn't. I don't think had the first clue. So, um, kind kind of an interesting it, anecdotal.
2: Just be clear for the listeners benefit, you know, when you're referring to multiple, you know, that was the thing about Mike Leach's air raid, like the run game was something that the, like, you know, not kidding about this, the quarterback was the person who made the decision about whether or not to run the ball. It was based on the pre and post snap, you know, read of the defensive alignment to like, to hand the line off. And so the run was always a surprise to everyone on the field, including the offensive line and the coach, um, not so in Eric Morris's, um, uh, uh, offense, they are definitely designing runs. It's a, you know, it should look relatively familiar to Oregon fans, read option, uh, uh, you know, system, but like it is a designed thing. They call runs in on top of that. They have a lot of like power blocking. There was one play in the Colorado state game where they actually managed to execute an off tackle power run in which it's six different dudes who one on one block their uh, defender perfectly. And the run goes huge. It goes for like 39 yards. I wound up having to exclude it from my data set because it was, I'm not joking about this, this one play was a quarter of all of rushing yards in a yes. single play. It was because the offensive line, I don't like the, the, the light shone upon them and they suddenly figured out how to run block this one play and it was beautiful. But then the you know the next play they go right back to not being able to run block at all. And was I was neat. shocked because
0: like the volume of gap scheme runs they're trying to run with that offensive line is like I know, man. It's not what I would be doing. <laughs> yeah, I, I know. It, it's like it's
2: like you know they run a uh, you know maybe twenty percent of the time, and even that is too much.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, and then like, and if I was going to be running, I, like I'd just be doing like wide zone, like like old school yeah. zone stuff, just to like. Put a well, body in a gap.
2: Man, they're not not—they're much not better at, at zone blocking. I mean, they had the same problem that BYU does. That was so bizarre. I, I know we cleared the BYU game, but there was a question that I wanted to ask you about it, which is just like, what is up with BYU zone blocking where they are not climbing to the second level? It's like they taught them the first part of zone blocking where you combo block, but not the second part where you have to block the line blocker and keep him from having a free shot at your, your running back. I mean, I noticed the same thing with Wazoo, so maybe you want to answer it in the, that framework. But like what you know am i just spoiled as an oregon fan for watching like effective zone blocking for the last 20 years from greatwood on or or what like do, do people not teach zone blocking properly anymore what?
0: well i think part of the problem is like especially for BYU, and i think also for for washington state is like athletically their interior guys struggle to fit at the second mm-hmm. level like they just they're not they don't have great body control they don't come to balance particularly well um and they just they 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 miss like they lunge they drop their head they play with bad mechanics and they miss some of that's coaching some of that's just guys that aren't very good athletes struggle to fit at the second level like that's just how football works um, but I I think part of it too is the some of the RPO stuff that BYU runs in particular is a little bit long developing and so I think they're trying to more press sideline to sideline than vertically in their
2: combination. Blocks. Oh, you mean they're worried about IDP flags? Yes. I, see. I think
0: a little bit on some stuff. I'm not. I, I definitely don't want to broadly attribute that because I don't think that's the case across the board. But I think on individual reps, it can be the case because as we've seen, like Marcus Harper loves to get downfield.
2: <laughs> he <sure laughs> does. Yeah. I, I put that clip in my article of the you BYU the Review. Pedal. You get the back pedal. Yeah, it was so cute where he's like, maybe they won't notice.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Only fifteen yards downfield. That was
0: that was like the best part of my film study of the byu game was watching marcus harper like as a corner trying to like bail and transition back towards the line of scrimmage
2: <laughs> it's, he's so sort of like i can be sneaky at 310 pounds or whatever <laughs>
0: yeah yeah he's like tiptoeing backwards i was like oh that that's that's uh that's not gonna do it if this was a closer game i'd be really frustrated with you right now but it's not so whatever Hey, you know what
2: the really crazy thing about wazoo is how about that transition guys is that it's a defense-led team this year their defensive efficiency stats are much better than their offensive efficiency stats um i i sort of think some of that is a mirage um it's difficult for me to tell how much though um it's one of the reasons why i think the wazoo is sort of a mystery team but like um yeah their their defensive success rate like uh, is pretty, you know, pretty high. It's like 63% against the past 56%, you know, against the run. I think a lot of that has to do with the opponents that they're playing, but like, I don't see the same, like just stupid stuff that I would watch under Mike Leach, uh, or Mike Leach's defensive coordinators, uh, over the years. Like, I actually think this is, you know, pretty sound tackling. Um, and they're making up for some of the talent deficiencies with speed. Um, and I really like their ends. I, I think they might have the best collection of defensive ends of any of the four down fronts in the pack. 12, there are three of them. So that's not saying much, but like, nonetheless, not bad
0: stone Jackson. Who's the third?
2: Um, there's about, they they all end with number zero. Um, so number 20, um, who is eighty,
0: eighty, ten, 80, 10 and 20, right?
2: 80, 10, 20. The, no, there's somebody else. Hold on. Uh, do, 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 Cause do, I like do, 80 do, and do, 10 Oh, think, 50, uh, Falatea
0: Okay, yeah, so 80, 80 and 10 Are the starters, I like 10 Yes, definitely, um, T-
2: 20 is Quinn Roth I had to pull up my other database, sorry about that maybe. Um, and uh, yeah Lawrence Falatea, number 50 um, It's cool that they all end in zero, I like that Uh, and um Yeah, N- no, they're, they're They're seriously straight up good, and like Roth is really Good, and he's a walk-on um, Or at least he was unrated out of high school Um Yeah, no, you know, I dig it. And their interior guys are pretty, like, flexible and fast, too. Well, Uh, number
0: one, Henley is awesome. Like he he could play. You for know
2: us. Henley is re- he's a he's a linebacker. Um, Henley had a really bad game against um uh, in in week three against Colorado State. It was crazy. My computer, you know, I run the statistical regression on every individual player as soon as I get in a plays room in order to do that. And like my computer was flashing red at me because he had excellent games week one and two and they had a terrible game in week three. I don't know what the deal was. Actually, when I was uh, on Wazoo's podcast after we did, finished recording, I I, I pressed Michael. For like the answer to like what that question was and he was like what are you talking about and i'm like oh man the stats don't lie that dude was out of position constantly in week three i I don't know maybe like his pet got run over or something it beats me uh uh yeah I, i mean they they have fast dudes uh that that's certainly true and if they guess correctly off the snap which way the play is going they'll beat you to it um the their vulnerability on defense is they're like they're super aggressive and they run themselves out of the play and so like counters Oh man, I'm really expecting Oregon to run a lot of counters in this game.
0: Yeah, I 100% agree. It was interesting cuz like against Wisconsin too, they got away with just like there's uh like their defense against Wisconsin is like the equivalent of like you ever seen the movie World War Z?
2: Yes. You know um, the book, you know when the book like was the, much better.
0: Uh, okay well i I didn't read the book but i saw the movie and uh like when the zombies are assaulting jerusalem and they're just throwing themselves at waves (laughs) at the wall until they eventually climb over the top that's literally what what washington state's game plan was defensively to stop the wisconsin i mean
2: that's that is one (laughs) of the reasons why i think you know there is a good possibility i I can't guarantee this you know i all i can say is uncertainty exists but I am skeptical that Wazoo's um, rush defense is as good as their numbers say they are, because I felt like Wisconsin was like stupidly stubborn about running the ball into eight-man boxes, in which they were World War Zing the you know the defensive strategy, uh, like. I feel like there are much smarter ways to run against Wazoo's defense that, you know, not just would be more effective, but like actively use their aggression against them. And in fact, I have several examples of this that will be in my article, which again, will be publish on Friday morning.
0: Yeah, no, I think like, it's pretty clear what Oregon's going to do. Like we've already shown it, like we're going to use control plays, whether it's the screen, the quick perimeter pass, play action. Like we're, we're going to, there's a lot of things that Dillingham is going to have at his disposal, both from a personnel and play calling standpoint um, to mitigate their ability to just do what they did to Wisconsin, which is just chuck bodies, rotate bodies, chuck more bodies, rotate more bodies into the run game. And like, while I think number five and number six are pretty good corners, I think number five is substantially better than six. Um, like I don't.
2: Their corners are a really interesting story. I agree with you about five versus six, uh, and and then to to really steal your thunder, uh, uh, five and six are so much better than their backups. But like five, Derek Langford, I've been watching him for a long time now. He was not a great cornerback. He's kind of a pretty good quarterback right now. Yeah, he's um,
0: playing at a really high level now.
2: Uh, and Chow Smith Wade number six, um, it, it also has impressed me. He's a relatively young guy. I think he came in the twenty twenty class. Um, now, like there was an injury in the um, in the Wisconsin game, so they had to play somebody behind him. I think the twenty nine. I I forget his name. Um, but like, uh, not as good. Um, and frankly, you know, that's really the position more than anything else where um wazoo's you know low talent profile really bites him in the butt you know because like you you got like sorry there's no substitute for talent in the secondary um they just got to be super fast super twitchy and super reactive and like be able to carry a dude all the way down the field in man coverage and like they have one human being who's really good at that and his name's Derek langford and if you're throwing against the other dude or if he's you know taking a, a gatorade break like um yeah you can really hit the sideline against them
0: yeah, well, I think like there's a pretty clear dichotomy just in general in college football between offense and defense where I think you can get away with lower levels of star-slash-recruiting rankings talent on offense with good systems mm. um, and, and good quarterback play, whereas defensively, I, the the individual talent level it, it will stand out eventually. Like, you'll eventually play somebody who is good enough systematically or a quarterback to highlight your... your your athletic deficiencies defensively. And I think that we're kind of that team for Washington state. I think that they are a really unique defense. I I really have a lot of respect for coach Dickert. I I think
2: I agree. I'm really impressed with the job that he did in particular because he did a scheme transition. Um, you know, when he took over in 2020, they went from a three down to a four down front. Most teams are not capable of doing that smoothly. He managed it very well. Well, it made sense for them because they didn't have the bodies for a three down front. Well, <laughs> like, I mean, obviously, but like they didn't exactly have the bodies for a four down front either, but they sort of made it work in a different way. Like, you know, Michigan State, which Oregon's played a couple of times over the years. And so if I had had to do a bunch of like films, like them, it was sort of like the, the, er four three, you know, like the, the er originating of it. And like, you know, nobody on Wazoo's team would be playing for, for Michigan State's four three. Um, and yet they sort of came with a way of running that four down front front that works for them and like that's coaching man you know yeah. that that's dickert
0: yeah no 100 percent. and like the the thing that i like and respect most about this washington state defense is while each individual part of the defense is not they don't they don't have an nfl guys right like these guys they yeah. like henley might get drafted because he's a really good athlete and there's a need for players like that in the nfl right now but like they don't have a bunch of like real freak athletes or anything like that but just the overall activity, motor, and um continuity that they play with defensively is what makes them effective it's like a it's kind of like the like the old school Rudy style thing mm. where it's like you have a bunch of guys who all really want it who are playing on the same page and trusting the system and because of that, they're playing at a high level they're really disruptive. I mean they have fourteen sacks on the year, although thirteen of them came against Colorado State who was Booty chow, literally
2: the worst team in college football in surrendering sacks.
0: Yeah, and and Idaho, who was not very good either. So um I don't think that they're going to be a team that really threatens our offensive line a whole lot. I think they'll they'll have to apply pressure by again throwing extra bodies. In which case, like this is where we find out like can Bo play on the road? um Because that was kind of the question at Auburn, and so that's uh, I think kind of a good place for us to end off here. We're eighty minutes in. I, I i propose this to you and, and we can cut this out of the recording if you say no um we're three games in if if you wanted to do like a quarterly review podcast with this, i think that would be kind of a fun feature uh, to kind of just kind of go through kind of go through and do like check-ins every three games throughout
2: the season hey that sounds great uh i'd love to do something like that
1: before we let you go do you have any predictions on this game
2: I think Oregon will cover the spread. It's 6.5 right now. Um, Oregon by a touchdown uh, or more sounds pretty appropriate to me. Yeah, you
0: know, I right. think at this point it's Oregon kind of playing against Oregon. Like, yeah, hey.
2: I, I mean, that's the thing about college football is that it's, you know, 19-year-olds can make you look stupid, um, you know, and there's still a bunch of unknowns. You know, I've tried to list all the unknowns for both Oregon and Wazoo, and I think there are quite a few. Um, you know, these teams could surprise me, or they could, you know, t- just do stupid stuff that's like you, you can describe all of the fundamentals properly, but then they have a bunch of special teams turnovers that makes you look stupid. There's no way to predict any of that sort of stuff, but like assuming that dumb stuff doesn't happen, yes, Oregon should. Should be more than a touchdown uh better than wazoo
0: yeah and uh also like important to note like joe lorg has been worth every penny so far
2: yeah what an interesting you know special teams and nickelbacks um which i would describe both of those as being pretty good
1: Day, thank you so much for joining us and and uh, i know our listeners will be delighted um, to see this episode come out and we'll be we'll be anxiously uh, ready to listen to it. And in particular, one of them actually said suggested this week that we get day on the show. And, and I don't think it had already been arranged, but of course they didn't know that. So they're going to, they're going to oh, look okay. brilliant. Uh, although I, I just outed them. I,
2: I will again plug that my writing appears on addicted to quack uh, where I'm the managing editor. And also uh, because we discussed it briefly, um, read world war z by max brooks it's very good or even better since this is a podcast audience and you already know how to make your your podcast player work uh get the audiobook for world war z they uh do they have a bunch of really cool actors come in and do do different parts it is the best audiobook that i have listened to in the last decade i highly recommend it
0: okay well that's getting downloaded tomorrow have you been watching uh house of the dragon at all
2: no i'm waiting for it to finish so i can binge it that's my style
0: all right, because Doug and I have a binary question to ask, but now we can't ask. Yeah, him, no, so.
2: no spoilers, man. That's not quite. Right, that in, on,
0: on part two of our quarterly review,
1: we will we will cover that.
2: Oh, man, I got to binge it before I come on the podcast next time. Huh? What a challenge.
1: Let's do it. Uh, Hithleday again, thank you so much. And yeah, check out Hithleday's writing at addictedtoquack.com. You will not regret it. Thank you so much for joining us.
2: You bet.